0: Hello. Hi. Hello. Uh, Can you hear me? Hello. Why is my phone signal so rubbish? It's one of the questions we're asking on the programme
1: today. Hello. The clear evidence suggests that these uh, large blue chip companies, phone operators, are are not not investing in the areas where it's most needed. The
0: CLA's Ben Underwood will explain all in a moment. Plus, with the hair-coursing season virtually
2: at an end... Is it time for a national approach to the issue? What we want to see is tough penalties, which we have seen examples of. And what we also want to see are these dogs being seized where appropriate. The Week in Agriculture. This is the Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale.
0: Good morning. The Country Land and Business Association has criticised mobile phone network operators for effectively deserting large parts of the countryside. Their words. It's uh, something we've discussed many times on the programme over a number of years, with 3G, never mind 4G, missing in many rural areas. Well, now the CLA has revealed the result of a Freedom of Information request to planning authorities showing a lack of investment in new masts in many counties. Rutland, for example, came out worst, with no planning application for new masts between 2015 and 2017 and that's despite only four percent of the premises there being able to get 4g from the four main providers. CLA's Ben Underwood has been telling Matt Soans more about the FOI findings.
1: We now have clear evidence to suggest that without any sort of legal intervention these telephone operators really seem reluctant to try and solve the issues in rural Britain.
3: Yeah and you know the figures in Rutland are particularly shocking, 3.42% 4G indoor coverage from all operators.
1: Yes, and I think then to back that up with this Freedom of Information Act is that uh, we have had zero applications um, for planning requests for phone masks uh, in the period of 2015 to 2017 in the Rutland area. So I think that just really serves to reinforce what I just said in the opening there is that the clear evidence suggests that these... Uh, large blue chip companies, phone operators, are, are, not, are not investing in the areas where it's most needed.
3: Do you think the phone companies are, to some extent, being led by their bottom line here? You know, they they know that if they put phone masts in cities, they're likely to get more subscribers. But if they put a phone mast in Rutland, you know, it's not necessarily going to have the same effect.
1: Absolutely, I think you 're quite right, and that 's why there needs to be some form of government intervention. This is a utility like any other and I think we need to move towards a universal service obligation similar to what we 've done with broadband uh, and that does require some sort of public investment and government intervention um, to to solve this issue. People think that it 's a sleepy area of farmland, but actually there 's a lot of businesses now running in rural areas that are dependent on good um, communication channels. And so uh, it, it's absolutely vital that we have some form of um, legal obligation in place to make sure that these telephone operators take this seriously.
3: Yeah, well, when we think about, you know, especially farming businesses, a lot of what they do in terms of meeting their obligations, in terms of getting the paperwork up to date, is done online nowadays.
1: Exactly, and also a lot of the technology they're adopting. You know, we're having to move with the times. The agriculture industry is a very innovative industry using a lot of modern technology to get more efficient, and that all uses the likes of 4G, GPS and broadband, and so we, we need to make sure that rural areas don't fall behind.
3: What kind of economic rewards do you think they can reap from having you know, decent utilities, decent coverage uh, in terms of 4G mobile internet?
1: Well, I I mean, huge. I mean, one example, for example, uh, yesterday I had a a member in um, South Lincolnshire who has done exactly what government policy is pushing towards, which is diversification, spreading risk on farms and in rural areas. So they've converted some farm buildings. They have a number of tenants in those. uh, But those tenants, unfortunately, have just handed in their notice because of the slow speeds, because they're operating an international business from a rural hub. Uh, And that's a great shame. Because that's exactly what we want to see happening in rural Britain.
3: Yeah. Um, what would you say to the to the mobile companies? You know, going forward. Um, you know, what w- what's your sales pitch to them?
1: Well, I think our our, our sales pitch to them is that, uh, like any other utility, we need to work in partnership to ensure that, whilst understanding that these are. Uh, businesses that need to remain profitable we also feel they have a duty to ensure that their services can be obtained by everyone across the land it's absolutely clear that a mobile phone company is going to put a mast where there's lots of houses for lots of people to pay to to, to piggyback on that signal Um, that isn't the case in the most rural areas but that doesn't necessarily mean the demand isn't there and there isn't an importance and so there needs to be some form of intervention there that um, recognises that it's a utility and like getting sewerage systems and water supplies out to rural areas, we need to do that the same with communication channels now.
0: Ben Underwood of the CLA there, chatting with Matt Soans. Of course, our uh, crop doctor, Sean Sparling, spends much of his life walking the fields. What's coverage like for you, Sean? Morning.
4: Yes, good morning, Sean. It is incredibly frustrating for me out here. I mean, I, I spend my days walking fields. I walk between 16 and 20 miles every single day of the working week. I then go back to my truck, I write down my thoughts and I write recommendations to correct issues or nutrient problems or disease or weeds or whatever issues. And I have to get those to the farmer. So I carry a portable printer in the car. But in order to get the tablet to speak to the printer, I have to use my phone as a portable Wi-Fi hotspot. Now, in the middle of Lincolnshire and middle of the wolds or wherever in Lincolnshire it seems to be now... Trying to find 4G coverage to connect my phone is becoming more and more difficult. And it's at the point, if you remember when we first got mobile phones, when you had to stand on one leg and point south. And when you finally got a signal, you you had to be so careful you didn't scare it away. And you have to somehow manoeuvre to try and get that to pick up on your Wi-Fi printer and your Wi-Fi tablet. So it is becoming more and more annoying. It's becoming. I think it's got worse over the last two or three years, certainly and I mean I pay the same taxes as everybody else my my mobile phone bill's the same as everybody else and I'm paying for the same service as everybody else so unless they're going to give me a discount I think they should expect us to be moaning and wondering why they're not investing all the money and coming up with the goods when they say that's all they're doing for us so um, yeah anyway rant over let's start with the weather absolutely beautiful when you get days in April of 24 degrees followed by 27, 26s what we've been saying all along about about filicron is this is what governs leaf production and growth in crops on the farm. In particular cereals but every crop responds now to heat, that's what moves them on. So if we start with all seed rape, um, a week ago we were saying a lot of these crops are still in green bud then they're nowhere near starting to flower but a week on, some warm temperatures and we're now seeing yellow bud widely and the first flowers starting to appear now that means that pollen beetle become no threat to us once the crop starts to flower they become vital pollinators and along with all the hundreds and hundreds of bees and bumblebees and midges and flies and beetles and bugs and weevils that are within these crops and you can see them on the sun they're doing an awful lot of good because they're going to help us now to pollinate these crops so there's little need to spray any pollen beetle. now I would suggest other than in the most backward crops so keep your eyes open and work to thresholds because there are an awful lot of good things in these crops which would be punished if we had to put an insecticide on so I look after just over 5000 acres of oilseed rape I haven't sprayed a single acre for pollen beetle again this year because I haven't been anywhere close to hitting threshold and that's only good because that preserves a lot of things which go forward to help us out in the autumn for example, as a little parasitic wasp that lives in all seed rate canopies called Tersoloccus microgaster and that predates on cabbage stem flea beetle in the autumn. So if you can get away without using an insecticide in all seed rate you want to be doing that because it will benefit you in the long run. Light leaf spot remains low, keep your eye on it, monitor it on a weekly basis um, and in terms of these crops it's the next sort of critical timing is really first flowers, yellow bud first flowers, first pod set. You just keep looking at these crops on a weekly basis and make sure you're staying in front of any disease and not falling behind it Um, so cereals then, very confusing out there in the field, we're still at the T0 timing, in all of my uh, winter wheat, I haven't left a single T1 ticket on any farm and just because a crop looks 8 to 10 inches tall, it doesn't mean that it's at growth stage 32 or growth stage 33 and just because the calendar tells you you're getting to the end of April it doesn't mean that that's already upon you it is vital, you carry a razor sharp knife in your pocket and you slice these plants open and look inside to see what's actually happening. So when you slice them open um, and you've got a stem in front of you, the bit where the roots are attached at the bottom, that's called the basal node. When the distance from the top of the basal node to the tip of the ear is a centimetre that's growth stage 30. When the top of the basal node to the base of the ear is a centimetre that's growth stage 31 and every interval thereafter between nodes needs to be two centimetres or more for it to be counted as a node. So leaf three doesn't emerge until you get to around growth stage 32 to 33 that's when leaf three emerges. Leaf four is what's happening now and what we're seeing is the distance between the basal node and the base of the ear that's that that, that is increasing in distance. But the next node isn't particularly starting now. Things will change rapidly now we've got some heat over the next few weeks. But don't just assume. Because when you think about growth stage, T0 timing is when leaf 4 is coming out. Leaf 4 gives you about 3% of final yield. It contributes that. Leaf 3 is at growth stage 32, which is T1 timing for fungicide. That's when leaf 3 emerges. And that gives you between 3 and 7% of the final yield. Then you've got leaf 2, which contributes 23% to final yield. Leaf 1, or flag leaf, that contributes 43% to final yield, and the ear itself contributes about 22%. So T0 timing is in order to keep the canopy clean until leaf 3 emerges. T1 timing is to keep leaf 3 clean until leaf 1 emerges and, vi- and just keeps going like that so you're keeping the canopy clean all the way through go too soon and it's a long interval and you're not doing the right thing by protecting the right leaf, it's critical you get these timings right and not just for fungicide timing but also for the cut off timings, things like growth regulators so cut them open and have a look, I've got nothing at T1 yet, sugar beet that's coming through the ground it seems to be faring okay, linseed that's through the ground seems to be getting hit by flea beetle at the moment so pick a suitable insecticide should you need to go if you've got 25 35 percent of plants being affected pea and bean weevil hitting some of these emerging pea and bean crops that went in in reasonable conditions a couple of weeks ago so again keep your eyes open don't go unless you're getting damage that the crop is not dealing with if it's being damaged faster than it can grow out of it you need to deal with that so finally the swallows have come back everything should now be all right with the world i saw my first four or five on wednesday afternoon and And with the amount of bugs and grubs and things that are in the air, there's plenty for them to eat. So hopefully, another week of this sort of weather, we start getting ourselves back into some semblance of normality. Indeed. Thank you, Sean. Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. It's
0: an issue we can't avoid here on the programme, that of hair coursing. Earlier in the year, we heard from one police force, Lincolnshire, which has been working hard to tackle the problem with drones and extra resources made available. Now, I promised you that we would return to find out whether it's been a success. Well, with the hair-coursing season, it feels odd calling it a season, really, when it's an illegal sport. Anyway, the season itself is drawing to an end now. So uh, Chief Inspector Jim Tyner can update us. The
5: previous season, September through to March, uh, we had uh, over 1,900 incidents. Uh, This season just gone, uh, we had 1,300 incidents. So it's a significant reduction, 600 fewer incidents of hair-coursing. Now that's 600 fewer human victims uh, and 600 fewer incidents that we've had to resource, which means officers have been available for other uh, crimes and uh, investigations. And so it is encouraging, but I'm very mindful that there is still a hardcore of hair courses that will continue to visit Lincolnshire and they have a significant impact. Uh, we've also seen, although there are fewer incidents, uh, a more serious tone to some of them in terms of how the hair courses operate now. Uh, In the past, it was traditional for hair coursers to walk in a line across a field to flush hairs and set the dogs on them. And sometimes when we talk of hair coursing, people may think of the Claude Greengrass sort of character in Heartbeat of of poaching and getting one for the pot. Modern hair coursing isn't like that. Uh, There's a hardcore of individuals uh, that will drive across the fields uh, and, and causing damage to crops. Uh, and having a total disregard for for anybody in in the path, uh, and they flush the hairs that way and and release the dogs, so they're causing much more damage. And whereas in the past. Uh, poachers would sort of uh, reluctantly uh, sigh and, and uh, wait while the officers uh, dealt with them and nowadays we see a tendency of them failing to stop so there's a risk of dangerous driving through our villages and through our rural communities so so there are still some challenges uh, but we, we still deal with it, we've been developing our tactics, uh, we started seating dogs uh, this season, we've seized 76 uh, dogs and the reason we seize the dogs is because the feedback we get is the dogs are even more valuable than the, than the cars that we traditionally seize. We still seize the vehicles as well, the way we can, but seizing the dogs seems to have had the biggest deterrent factor. And, and we can say that because I've had my opposite number in a lot of other police forces phoning me and saying... They're stopping haircourses, something they've never encountered before, and the haircourses are telling them they're not coming to Lincolnshire because we will take the dogs off them.
0: Chief Inspector Jim Tyner. Let's uh, pick up the final point there. Isn't it just simply pushing the problem elsewhere, not actually stopping the illegal sport itself. Danny O'Shea, at the NFU, says to really find the solution, it's time for a nationwide approach to it, starting in the courts.
2: Yeah, we've had um, statistics um, passed to us that have shown that hair coursing has gone down in Lincolnshire, but it's gone up elsewhere, neighbouring counties. Um, and whilst that is pleasing to see, what we want as the NFU is we want a consistent approach to rural crime, a collaborative effort between all forces to tackle rural crime and take on, in particular, hair coursing. We need to raise the awareness of the issue. Uh, and we want to see people being handed down serious fines. You know, 120 quid fines are nothing. You know, that's that's a whip around between between the hair courses, and they'll crack on and hair course somewhere else. What we want to see is tough penalties, which we have seen examples of. And what we also want to see are these dogs being seized where appropriate. Um, hopefully kept uh, until at least until the court date, and if appropriate, rehomed. And that is, we think that would be a, a big deterrent to the hair courses. But the, behind all of it. You need to work together. You need to be consistent and collaborative. So that's what we want to see. Um, our president, our new president, Manette Batters, actually met with the Chief Constable's Council uh, this week to discuss exactly that. And we're determined to work with the police and continue to to improve uh, the situation on the ground. There's definitely big positives you can take out of Operation Galileo and apply elsewhere. I'm sure it's the same in other counties. I personally work with in Lincolnshire, so that's all I can see. Um, but there are they I think I believe they've taken they have really taken the initiative and taken the fight to the criminals a year ago I started in this job at the same time Bill Skelly the chief constable started in his and he committed to taking on rural crime and hair coursing in particular and he has done that when I started um, I heard phrases like uh, it feels like the wild west out there I don't really hear that anymore people feel supported so I believe it's been it's having more of an impact more than hair coursing I think people who take part in rural crime and the criminals, they know that it's it's not open for business. You can't just come to Lincolnshire. And I believe that is having a knock-on effect. And we're seeing that in statistics which show rises in rural crime elsewhere. So I think now's the time to take a breath and review what's gone on in the last few months, since um, September since the hair coursing started. Um, and like I said, we believe the legislation's in place. We believe we could hand down tougher penalties where appropriate and seize dogs where appropriate. But what we want to do now is review current performance and then look to take a consistent approach and collaborative approach across all forces to tackle rural crime.
0: Danny O'Shea at the NFU. Last week's appearance on the programme by the former Green Party leader Natalie Bennett generated a fair bit of debate online, it's fair to say, especially about how to engage with people on social media. Her online debate with Andrew Ward that resulted in her visiting his farm was at least friendly. And both agree that engaging in such discussion is needed. On social media, it's very open. Uh, it, it's like um, a friend of mine says that social media is like a tube of toothpaste. Once you squeeze and it's out there, you can't take it back. And it's right. And so we do have to sort of think about that. And it's the generalisation of farming that really gets me going.
3: Twitter
1: can be a wonderful tool. Um, and it's a chance for people who perhaps might not talk otherwise to talk to each other. And we've all got a responsibility to do everything we can to make it a... Not a hostile, horrible space, but a space in which people can talk to each other, learn from each other, make contact and, you know, start to build the kind of drastic changes we need in our society, politically, economically, socially and environmentally.
0: As hinted at there, not all debates on social media have been as friendly, though. There have been death threats to some dairy farmers and quite vicious comments from some elements, hopefully a minority. Richard Bowers is a dairy farmer. He says engaging positively
3: has to be the answer. No, it it is a massive challenge. I think where people are overstepping the mark, they should be held to account. Um, And it is very difficult. Um, Also, though, I must admit, consumer tastes are changing as well, so we probably have to identify Mm. that as well. This is—it's only 1.6% of the market, but again, we need to be aware of that. But sometimes, if we if we throw fuel back at the fire, it Mm. can make the fire even bigger as well. So, I think as farmers, we just highlight the environmental work that we do. I mean, livestock grazes some parts of the the countryside that we can't produce anything else on, Um, and then also. these are customers that we can supply if, if they want to buy vegetables or we'll, we'll supply vegetables and sell them vegetables as well so yeah if people overset the mark they should be held to account but then again we need to look at the consumer market the consumers and how the market's changing.
0: Okay so what can be done about it then short of coming off social media altogether it's an issue we raised recently with NFU President Minette Batters she's in agreement really with Richard Bowers
3: The more you react and respond um, to what um, this real activist behaviour and we've seen abhorrent behaviour on social media, the the, the really vile behaviour. That's what needs to end. And and ultimately, we believe uh, in the NFU that we need our own positive messages going out there. Uh, On social media, we need bigger bolder campaigns. We need to really champion this industry rather than react to to negative uh, stories that are not true, um, ultimately are not supported by the public, and actually just give it oxygen and allow the story to continue. For me, though, social media is all about you know positive initiatives it is not a place to have a negative dialogue I don't, I don't think that does anybody any good at all.
0: Millette Batters at the NFU what are your experiences whether on social media or by email post maybe even face to face and what can be done about the more extreme elements I'd love to hear your views as always do please get in touch either email me through the website or indeed on social media do it politely though if you're on there. Someone who's always polite, well, to me anyway, it's uh, Kit Dickinson. He's here with the latest from Open Fields. Morning, Sean. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. The sun's been shining. Is that is that good news?
6: Uh, it is good news. <laughs> yes, very good news for our farmers. Yes, I mean, London wheat this week started up, but uh, sadly has dropped on Friday, but is still ma- maintaining strong values on both old and new crop. The main question is whether these values will stay as the weather improves and the domestic feed demand reduces. Overall, winter crops are looking very well and starting to perk up as a result of the improved weather. May 18 London wheat traded to six months' highs this week at 148, remaining high. There are some newswires quoting the German wheat area is down 25% this year due to a difficult autumn and winter conditions and too much rain. Oilseed rape continues working towards a large carry-out, indicating at the moment a circa 200,000 metric tonne domestic surplus. April is now covered and crushers are buying hand-to-mouth going forward. Barley. This has been the first week of good weather where farmers can get on and get their spring drilling in. There is still a large area of barley and sugar beet to drill, and many soils still need time to dry before they are able to travel. Fingers crossed, the dry weather will continue. Old crop barley still has very good prices, so please talk to your open field farm business manager to get detailed prices for your area. Slow week for beans and little to report, other than there is a question mark over the quantity of beans left out on farm or in store. I'm sure in the coming weeks we shall get an answer and values will change. Prices this week. Feed wheat, May 18, 145 to 148. Harvest, August, 138 to 142. November, 143 to 147. Group 1 premiums, please ask for specific areas, locations and quality. Oil seed rate, May 280 to 282. August, 271 to 274. November, 281 to 283. Barley, ex-farm for May, is 144 to 147. Moving into new crop for August, 128 to 132. And November 18, 134 to 136. Feed beans, 162 to 166 spot. September, 154 to 158. November, 160 to 163. There are very few parcels of human consumption beans left on farm. So please, again, get in touch with your Openfield Farm Business Manager for specific prices. Excellent. Thank you. Kit Dickinson from Openfield. The Farming
2: Programme. Five-day forecast.
0: It's a bit more cloudy today, 19 the high. The wind from the west-southwest, 15 miles an hour. Might be a shower in one or two places, but it should be mostly dry. Clear skies overnight tonight again. We're looking at lows of 7 the wind from the west-southwest, 10 gusting at 25 miles an hour. It's an overcast start to the new week tomorrow, 14 the high as well, so a little bit cooler. The westerly breeze, the reason for that, 15 to 20 miles an hour. And then overnight Monday into Tuesday, the possibility of a band of rain, which will be with us throughout Tuesday, 11 the low, the wind from the west-southwest, 8 to 15 miles an hour. As I say, a wet Tuesday at the moment. Temperatures around 16. The wind still from the west at about 15 miles an hour. Then it should be drier Tuesday into Wednesday. Lows overnight of 8. The wind dropping down from the west at about 5 miles an hour some sunshine for the middle of the week but it will be quite misty come late afternoon with again rain a possibility 13 the high the wind continuing from the west at about 20 miles an hour and then for the latter end of the week a mixed bag really the possibility of some wet weather but some dry weather mixed in there as well that wind really continuing from the west at about 20 miles an hour we're looking at daytime highs of about 12 to 15 celsius overnight lows of around 5 degrees in places though and that's the forecast A number of farmers and those in agriculture are running in today's London Marathon. Among them, Gainsborough farmer Chris Williamson, who, it's all dependent on the heat, is hoping to run in a special costume, a handmade Massey Ferguson. Look out for the tractor later, all being well. Let's hope he and the others have a good marathon, and as ever. Until next week, here's hoping you have a good week's farming. Take care.